0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Mountain Meister, and I am your host, Ben Shank. I have some great news for the Meister faithful fans out there, and that is that this is our last repeat episode. Starting next week, we will be releasing all new episodes of Mountain Meister with terrific guests, so I really encourage you to tune in then. We are ending our Hall of Fame repeat episodes with a bang. This episode is with Eric Larson. It was episode number 46, and Eric is a polar explorer. And when we interviewed him, he recently returned from an expedition where he sought and reached the North Pole. And this episode is full of different emotions. Eric actually did some recordings during his North Pole expedition, and we put one of them in here, and it is quite emotional. You'll see what I'm talking about. Enjoy this episode. If you haven't subscribed to Mountain Meister already, do that so your phone will automatically download the next episode, which will be a brand new episode of Mountain Meister. Enough of me. Here is Eric Larson, Polar Explorer. Who are the Mountain Meisters?
1: Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus.
0: Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it.
1: You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have.
0: Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans, and welcome to the show. This is Ben. Hey guys, it's Russell. Today we welcome Eric Larson. Eric is a polar explorer, expedition guide, dog musher, and educator. The list of Eric's accomplishments in exploration is extensive. In 2006, he and his partner, Lonnie Dupre, completed the first ever summer expedition to the North Pole, where they paddled modified canoes through 550 miles of the ocean and ice. In 2009, he completed a 750-mile ski traverse to the South Pole. And Eric was the first person in history to reach the world's three poles, with the third being Everest, within a 365-day period. And finally, Eric, recently returned from another North Pole expedition. Eric, thanks for joining us, and congratulations.
2: Thank you. I
0: appreciate it. Yeah,
2: so you've been doing this stuff for the past 15 years. That just seems like a really long amount of time, and, and there's only a few things you really need to do, but it's so extreme. It's so cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So what really got you started in this polar exploration career? I
1: think For me personally, I've always been interested in the idea of exploration and and trying to discover places or things or whatever. I have a natural curiosity. Honestly, however, I really love camping. Uh, I love being outside. I like sleeping in a sleeping bag and tents. And um, I had a lot of great experiences uh, in smaller trips in my past. And as I kind of got older, I, I was interested in trying to discover new places, at least new places that I had never been to and and find ways to spend as much time as I could in in my tent and basically just kind of evolve from there, not only just on a personal level, but also my background is in um, education as well. And so trying to really focus on connecting people to places and using my expeditions as a platform to talk about some of these bigger issues. Mm -hmm.
0: So we've talked to another polar explorer before, and we've heard that this is, I mean, not only a geographic exploration, but also an exploration of self. I mean, there have been a few people to do these expeditions. What else is there left to discover?
1: Well, I mean, if you look around at uh, the globe, nearly every place has been mapped. mm mm-hmm. Um, that said, I mean, there are plenty of places that people have not been in, And in fact, there was just a, a list that was released of unclimbed peaks in Nepal, mm-hmm. mountains that have never been climbed. And so there are these places around. However, you know, I, I, I think what uh, is left to explore is basically the places as they exist today. So, for example, my North Pole expedition that I recently returned from, is a very different environment than it was 50 years ago, and mm. so what we're doing is we're discovering how these places exist today, which I think is very important and very relevant.
2: Yeah, and you need to do different creative ways to get there too. Uh, ben and I actually read this article where you were you canoeing to the North Pole. Is that something you can do?
1: Uh, well. I mean y- yes, I mean, it was a difficult. That was two thousand six, our summer expedition in the North Pole, and we had kind of designed these specially modified canoes where we would pull them like sleds at times, and when there <laughs> was sections of open water, we would um paddle them
0: like the canoes that they were so how much water is there besides the ice so so you have these little channels
1: yeah there uh there's significantly more ice than there is water, mm-hmm. despite the environment changing dramatically in in the past twenty years. But the Arctic Ocean is a really unique environment. And and it's kind of the reason why I wanted to go back and do this most recent expedition. And and it's it's an environment that few people really understand. To get to the North Pole, you're not traversing any land. Uh, You're traversing ice that's floating on water. So the Arctic Ocean is a huge area, eight and a half million square miles. And it's uh, basically covered by floating sheets of ice and those sheets of ice are moving depending on the winds the tides and the ocean currents and so you have this surface that can be just a flat piece of ice and that's called a pan or a sheet of ice which you know might be a half mile wide m- maybe oftentimes very much smaller and it can also crack apart and it can form what's called a lead and that's an open section of water and that section of water, depending on the season, can be just, you know, like a couple feet across or it can be upwards of a half mile across. And that ice also collides together and creates what are called pressure ridges or grinds up against each other. So that surface is very dynamic, constantly moving, freezing, refreezing, cracking, colliding. And so you have this kind of jumbled mix of ice. And the other interesting thing about the North Pole Expedition is, you know, you could have two – two expeditions starting at the same time and most likely their routes will be completely different and that's because mm-hmm. you know that ice is moving so much and and from year to year your starting point and your ending point are are the same, but everything in between is different as well because that ice has a general drift to it. It's moving over the course of several years as well. So that's a, it's, it's an interesting aspect of that trip.
2: In essence, you're really just doing the same thing over and over again. You're skiing, you're, you're doing some different activities, but for the most part, you're thinking about the same things. You have very similar challenges, even though they're very difficult And so I just want to tell the listeners about a current event that happened to me, which is extremely different. And this is more attacking the mental state that I was in when this was happening. So this past weekend, I had just got back from New Orleans because my uh, sister's future husband was having his bachelor party. So it was me, 11 other guys, and we knew it was going to be a blast, but it was going to be exhausting. And we're going to do basically the same thing over and over again. And if anyone's ever been to New Orleans, you've probably been to Bourbon Street. It's one of the craziest places in the US. And so you're just there, you're drinking, you're having fun. But we were there for four days and it was exhausting. And we had a blast. It was really good. But by the third or fourth day, I was just mentally exhausted from doing the same thing over and over again. When I think of your polar expedition, where you're doing the same thing over and over again for 59 days, two months straight, what was that like for you mentally, doing the same thing over and over again every day?
1: Yeah, it's a, you know as physically difficult as this expedition is, and I, I consider. Uh, the North Pole expedition, 10 times harder than climbing Mount Everest easily. Mm -hmm. The mental challenges are much more substantial. And if you look at kind of the aesthetic in which we were recently traveling, which is unsupported and unaided, everything that we need to live and survive is in our sleds with us from day one. And so you have this overwhelming obstacle that you're trying to overcome, which is traveling across the Arctic Ocean to get to the North Pole in a very finite amount of time with a very finite amount of resources. And your progress is very minimal. And so there's a lot of, I guess, strategies that you use to try to be successful. And actually, that routine is one of the most important things. Uh, I call expedition travel death by 1,000 cuts because on any given day, you're not necessarily trying to use all your strength. I mean, these expeditions aren't just a day or a few days, but they're uh, nearly two months. And so you have to meter out your energy and your resources very carefully because each day you lose a little bit of energy that you never get back. And so all of a sudden you're in week three of this expedition and you realize, wow, I'm really fatigued. And so if you use too much energy on any given day, that just depletes the gas tank that much sooner and affects your uh, chances of success. So you have to be very careful about how you use that energy and being efficient and having a routine routine. It's very important to being successful, as is just looking at short-term goals and long-term goals, and that, and that exists on a, a lot of different levels. Again, this getting to the North Pole is pretty overwhelming, especially in the first couple of weeks when you're making two miles or one mile of progress after you know, eight to ten hours of some pretty intense wow. work. I mean, physically demanding in in one of the most extreme environments on the planet. I mean, you're looking at 35 degrees below zero and and struggling to move these sleds and you make a mile. You know, it's just overwhelming. And so we have that overall goal in sight, but we use a lot of short-term goals to be able to kind of set these um, benchmarks to be able to hit and it's not even just like okay let's get to this certain degree of latitude like mm-hmm. the, our first goal was like 84 degrees of latitude that's basically like 60 miles away that's what just what we're aiming for but we're also just looking at any given day it's like okay let's just get through this hour and then we'll switch and then and uh, switch the leads and then the next person is kind of navigating in front and then it's can we get through the half a day where we have um, some warm soup where we get a little more energy and then it's just to the end of the day and so we have different levels of short-term goals um, that we're trying to reach and then eventually if we we can string enough of those short-term goals together we get to the long-term goal additionally there's a lot of problems that you get and so often you know like your example of being at the bachelor party or whatever like you're 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 experiencing a lot of problems like You know, you're sleeping on the floor. I mean, I'm seriously here, Mm -hmm. or or relatively seriously. Um, And oftentimes, I think, you know, you can look at those problems as an end. Like, there's, you know, this is just too too difficult for me to overcome. And I think that happens to a lot of people, when in reality, there are a lot of solutions. Okay, I'm in the situation in New Orleans where I'm partying a lot, and (laughs) I'm sleeping on the floor. Maybe I can roll up some blankets and I actually get a good night's sleep. And the same thing happens on these big expeditions, but much more severe consequences, you know, ranging from anywhere from, you know, not making our objective to getting injured to potentially dying. You know, these things seem so intense in the moment. For example, I broke my compass dial. Like, that's never happened oh, wow. to me in 15 years. I've never had that compass break and it's um so much in fact that i didn't bring a spare i mean we had one both ryan and i had one on this trip and you know i felt that was sufficient and and that compass is really important for me because it helps determine what my route is throughout the day and every time and it also mentally helps me because it's part of my decision making process when i come up to an obstacle and it can be very difficult to make a decision i pull the compass out that tells me where to go Mm And so in that moment of that compass breaking, worst case scenario uh, just starts running through my head. We're not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to be able to navigate. We're going to go around circles like this is a disaster. But take a step back, fix the compass. It's not perfect, but it works. Um, and we're able to keep going. So, you know, we, I, I kind of had this series like or this kind of saying, it's like problem, solution. So there's there's no question that you're going to experience problems along the way. The key is to understand that there is a solution out there may not be the first one, but if you keep focused, you'll find it.
0: Yeah, and to kind of zoom in on that living in the moment and you running into these problems and they seem so intense in that moment, Russell and I found a series of recordings that you did during um, your expedition and basically for our listeners, um, Eric and his expedition partner Ryan basically hosted what a three or four minute just highlight review of the day. And, boy, I mean, when you listen to something like that, it really hit me how intense these situations were. And, uh, you know, in some of them, you're really, like, breaking down. And, Eric, with your approval, we're going to play one of these clips for our listeners. This is from April 19th, 2014.
3: Hi, this is Eric calling in on the morning of day 35 of the last North Expedition. From the Arctic Ocean casually drifting backwards as we sit here yesterday was an interesting day we had good visibility it was actually relatively clear uh, but it was windy but surface was decent there's still some soft pockets we made pretty good progress in the morning a lot of fractured ice but still able to get around it you know a few more open spaces and and a little after lunch, we just ran into a big lead that was too thin, and I started veering west. It's basically just a huge, vast field of massive blocks of ice as far as we could see. I mean, it was just crazy. Crazy. And both Ryan and I got up there and just kind of hung our heads. You know, it was just not. So we put on the snowshoes kind of wound our way through to a section scouted again and it was just like more lead or more pressure and so we decided to put the dry suits on and kind of like bear crawl across this pressure which is actually or the lead which is actually pretty good uh, and ended up swimming a little bit at the end but it's hard to really describe the overwhelming sense of just uh oh, frustration that we feel at times with these conditions it's very difficult um, and you know that whole endeavor we used up probably about three and a half hours just to get maybe a half of a mile if that not even and so just in terms of our overall goal it's it's uh it's Humboid. So, that's all the news. For more information, you can know, always visit my website, com or ryanwaters.net. Uh, just a little side note here, as I compose myself, uh, we're, we're still... Moving forward and working really great together. So, uh, all is good. Thanks. Always remember it's cool to be cold. Thanks, Phil.
0: So, hopefully, that offers a little bit of a glimpse into what you're facing. For our listeners, if you'd like to check out other clips like these, there's a whole series of them in a podcast on iTunes. It's called Eric Larson Explorer. We'll have the link posted to our website under Eric's Meister profile page. Eric, when we listen to that, you get just a sense of frustration. What's the most frustrating part about these trips?
1: There are many frustrating parts. And it seems to me, you know, after doing several expeditions in North Pole and Antarctica and a lot of mountaineering expeditions that I would have it all dialed. And and in one sense I do, but it's still, there are these very raw visceral experiences Of being out there in a situation where you don't really have a lot of control and you don't have necessarily a good handle on the outcome and you're physically in life-threatening situations and mentally you're sapped and you know so there's a lot of variables that are kind of weighing on you at any given second um, and none of them seem to be in your favor and how long can you kind of endure in that state is difficult too because when you don't see any hope of anything changing it can be you know completely overwhelming and so basically whatever works is is what we end up doing and it's kind of a lot of these mental games that we play which is like the short-term goals and um you know breaking up that big problem into these small manageable pieces and you know living in the moment and um step by step making our way
0: You mentioned situations that are uncontrollable, and the other day, actually, I was listening to a TED Radio Hour podcast, and to our Meister fans, TED Radio Hour is another podcast. Feel free to listen to that. It's a quality production. Just don't stop listening to Mountain Meister. But anyway, Eric, so this TED Radio Hour was talking about fear, and they spoke to an astronaut about what his fears are, and... He said that his biggest fear is running into situations that are out of his control. Um, so you know he talks about when a successful space launch, the, the odds for a catastrophic accident during a space launch is actually one in 35, which those aren't very wow. good odds and no. and then he talked about being in space and he sees a meteorite fly by and it was only you know 100 miles away. Those are things that are out of his control, and that's scary. What do you run into out here that's out of control specifically?
1: Yeah, everything. I think fear is an interesting topic because fear in one sense is a good thing because Mm -hmm. it helps keep you safe, but it can also inhibit your ability to perform, to move forward. And, you know, we kind of deal with a lot of different levels of fear uh, on any given moment, uh, if you look in the overall terms of the expedition, there's just the fear of failure, the fear of letting people down. That's kind of a constant, and you know it, it's a it's a different kind of fear than something that's going to give you physical harm. But it affects you, and then there are the things that could potentially injure you or kill you, and those, in one sense, are easier to deal with at a certain time mm-hmm. because. For one thing, it's relative. When you're more competent at a certain activity, you can do riskier things with less fear. And so, you know, the more experiences you have, the more you're able to deal with those types of feelings. But even still, there are moments where you, and I kind of look at it almost like this physical, like, okay, I'm just choosing not to feel that fear. But, you know, we for us, it's falling through the ice. You know, encounters with polar bears. swimming. Um, you know, I had a, I had a couple really, actually, very scary situations. Some of the most uh, really stressful and scary situations in my life, where I was swimming across these leads, there are these sections of open water, cracks in the ice, where you know we can't go around, so we put a dry suit on and swim across, and are oftentimes are breaking thin ice with our our bodies as well, and. And I get to the other side and, and pull the sleds across with a rope. And I had been in the water for quite some time and trying to get out on the far ledge and, and physically couldn't pull myself up and Ooh. and was having a hard time just kind of managing the rope. Um, you know, I was wrapped around my hand in a weird way and, you know, I was just trying to like reach up and kept slipping off and was basically using all my energy and, I just kind of thought to myself, like, this is how they find people dead, you know, kind of in this situation. And for me, it it was a point where I was physically did not have any uh, any strength left. And it was the last little bit of energy that I had. And, you know, in the moment, I was very focused on doing what I needed to get out of that situation. But what ended up happening is it affected me afterwards Mm -hmm. when we were skiing again and thinking about, having to do that same thing again became uh, very difficult for
2: me yeah you mentioned someone being able to that's where you find people dead but i mean you're out here for 40 or 50 days like you're not even going to be found
1: no yeah there's there's nobody there so i mean it's just the polar bears might find you yeah Yeah, and, and that's scary within itself i mean i think if i have adapted to one thing uh in these expeditions it's just that feeling of complete insignificance which is scary in one sense but it's also really good um, because it takes away some of that me-centric thinking that you may have like the things I'm doing are so important you realize you know what like yeah I'm, I'm just a cog in, in in this whole big machine that started a lot longer than when I was ever here and will keep going when, when I'm gone and um, and it also helps you appreciate just the, the scale and the grandeur of, of what that environment is or any environment for that matter.
2: I'm kind of in a storytelling mood right now. So I'm going to tell another another story that has to do with what Ben was talking about with fear. And we're going to actually fast forward a little bit. You're done with your... How long were you um, in the North Pole for your last one? Was it around 50, 60 days?
1: Uh, Yeah, we were... It took us 53 days to get to the North Pole, and then we waited around for another couple days to get picked up by a plane.
2: Okay, yeah. So just about two months, I guess, you're gone. Uh, so when I was actually two years old, my dad was climbing Mount Everest, Rick Wilcox. He he's actually was on the show the episode legend. seven for our, uh, for our listeners. But I was two, and my dad just left, and my mom went with him. I'm this kid, I'm not even potty trained yet, and my parents leave me. And you're in a similar situation now, being a father yourself, And what actually happened to me was I don't think it messed me up too bad, but I was kind of a mama's boy, cling to my mom till I was 10. Yeah. And so that's interesting. Did you have that same sort of fear when you came home for your child?
1: Well, that's a, it's a good story. It's a good one for me to hear, so I don't know how, you know, I don't know how I'm messing up my son and going <laughs> to land some of these adventures. Do you feel like you're a well-adjusted individual?
0: Russell clings to me all the time. It's weird, Eric. <laughs> I, I like to think I am. Uh, you can ask my parents. Russell turns out just fine. All so.
1: right. Well, that's, uh, that bodes a little bit better for me. Yeah. Uh, but Yeah, it's, you know, that's a tough situation as a parent to be in to have a passion. And there is a cost associated with passion. And for me, uh, you know, my passion is doing these big expeditions that tend to span quite a bit of time. And being gone, this trip was much more difficult for me than my previous expeditions. You know, you know, my wife, two months, if I'm gone, that's definitely difficult in a relationship. But mm-hmm. she's pretty much the same person. My <laughs> son, when he's basically around a year and a half old, like being gone for two months, He's changed so dramatically. Two months is such a large proportion of his life than, you know, mine. And so when I left, he was a little baby. And when I came back, he was a little boy. And that was very, very stressful for me on a lot of levels. One is just, you know, questioning my role as a parent and Mm -hmm. leaving and and how that kind of balances in my life. And, and, you know, that's a natural part of being in these environments is questioning some of your previous actions in life. But, um, yeah, it was difficult. And coming back was incredible, you know. And uh, the separation when I was back wasn't as dramatic for him as I thought it might be. Um, And he still remembered me, which I was pretty (laughs) excited about. I was really nervous about that, you know. like definitely. You know, he's at an age where, you know, he's not really able to communicate that well. You don't know what things are registering and what, what aren't, you know, at a year and a half old. And, yeah, I mean, I think all it's all sorted out now. Like, it, it took about five minutes and we were back in our old familiar patterns, which was awesome.
2: Yeah, something else you would probably want to hear is I think the adversity was actually good for me because I wasn't potty trained by the time I got back. I actually potty trained myself and I was a year both, <laughs> nice. both like yeah. ahead of the average. So then uh when I was 18 my mom gave me all the diaper money that I would have cost her. So that was kind of nice, but <laughs>
1: Nice. So you got that going for you, <laughs> which yeah, is nice. <laughs> that was
2: that was very nice. Um and then I mean there are other things that are weird coming back. Probably sleep is different and food. Can you talk about maybe another significant difference of this this shock?
1: Yeah, coming back in one sense is Really easy because you know, our lives sitting at a desk, going to the store like that's what pretty much everybody does most of the time. And you know, even though expeditions are a huge part of my life, and I I actually was adding it up, and I've spent just on polar expeditions over a year of my life just on polar expeditions in the last eight years. So that's a year sleeping in tents at either the North Pole or the South Pole, but even still more of my life has been just like everybody else's. And so in one sense, coming back is very easy because that's what you're used to. It's easy to, to you know, turn on the, the faucet and have water come out and open up the refrigerator and have just whatever you want to eat right there or go to the store and get whatever, whatever you want to eat. And so it's, it's a little anticlimactic in that sense. On the other hand, on any of these big trips, um, the things that you're doing are so intense and so singular in their focus that to come back and have all these choices almost seems anticlimactic. And to have things be so easy seems very – there doesn't seem to be any meaning in it when, when, when you're on an expedition, like there's Mm -hmm. such a, you're living in such direct connection with the environment. And so I think, you know, part of it for me is just that odd experience of not being on the expedition anymore and not looking out of a tent door in the morning and seeing ice and, and also have that intense experience almost fade, you know, like, like a dream. So it's, it's, it's an adjustment. And I always say I'm pretty much the same person that I was prior to, going on my last expedition but i'm also forever changed
0: all right so we've talked about some pretty deep things so far and i want to lighten it up a little bit please answer this this question with one with one word so i read somewhere that you wore the same pair of underwear throughout the entirety of your expedition is that true yes (laughs) okay And a good segue from that is we need a gear recommendation for our (laughs) listeners. You don't have to recommend that pair of underwear, although I think that is a great circumstance. Anyway, please recommend our audience one piece of gear.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to pick out just one piece of gear. Like, if you look at what's the most important thing, everything plays a really important role. You know, that underwear was, uh, I, I mean, I'm, might even still be wearing it right now um, <laughs> a lot of the gear you know a lot of that gear that i use you know you have to wash it a few times but it's it's so durable mm-hmm. um that you know i still use it my um, that was uh, ex officio underwear i have this helly hansen base layer like it's like wash it a few times it's good as new like um <laughs> it's kind of interesting to me and and I often get new gear for newer expeditions, and it's a little bit of a bummer because the stuff, a lot of the stuff I have, still works really well. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think two, I have a, a few favorite pieces of gear. I think my first one is the DeLorme InReach. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's really transformed how I'm able to interact and be safe on an expedition. You know, as I mentioned, one of the goals of my, one of the biggest goals of my, any of my ventures is really to connect people to places. And so the Delorme inReach is a two-way satellite communicator. And so I can send messages to whomever I want. I can update my Facebook page. I have real-time oh. tracking Um, It's just a really incredible experience. I had a lot of people, uh, we had that tracking on five-minute intervals when we were getting close to the pole. And I had a lot of people say, man, I can't believe how interesting it is watching a dot move across a map. (laughs) Um, But then it's also, you know, another big thing for me is responsible recreation. And and the inReach is also a personal locator beacon. Um, So if something goes wrong, I've got a way to uh, make sure that people know where I am. Um, And so that's a Uh, a great thing and then i think my other gear is basically pick anything from msr and you've got pretty much the best thing on the face of the earth i mean uh, a couple products that i was totally psyched on are msr snowshoes um you know we're pulling 320 pounds in just this rough brutal conditions uh physically it's just demanding you can't ski because the ice is too rough you can't walk because you punch through and and those snowshoes are are like putting our feet in four-wheel drive (laughs) and um, and then the other thing is the i I always call it the thing that connected us to humanity the thing that separated us from the animals was just heat Um, and so there's a msr makes a stove called the xgk literally the best stove on the surface of the earth i mean you could throw it against the wall and run it over with an 18 wheeler and you can still cook your dinner um it's just a great stove and for us getting in a tent at night and turning that thing on was just such a relief like for for that brief instant we weren't fighting for our survival or to keep warm
2: yeah those are all great recommendations msr has a ton of Great stuff, and I think I saw on your Facebook page you're giving away some of the Delorms as well.
1: Yeah, we I, I do some different things with Delorm. Each each week we do a little giveaway. You know, Delorm started out actually as a mapping company, and so we give away these gazetteers, which I totally love. There, uh, you've probably seen them. There, these kind of state by state maps that are that offer quite a bit of details as well as topography and you know i i'm surprised at how often i use them because i i love as i you know as i said earlier i love to go camping and it's a great way to find like these roads in in you know forest service land where you can just pull off and camp or whatever but we we give uh one of those away every week and and uh we'll be doing another giveaway with the in reach satellite beacon as well
2: Yeah, you can't judge us if Ben and I try to get in on that. A little better than my Google Maps, for sure. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. we're doing it all year, so you've got every Thursday. Nice, like every Thursday.
2: (laughs) So this has been a great interview so far. We want to wrap it up with one final question about something that you're very passionate about, and that has to do with climate change. And it seems like there's a trend of very extreme athletes, usually in the winter sports market, they're always supporting uh, slowing down climate change and doing everything they can what would be your best advice for someone who isn't as extreme as you and doesn't really get to see and taste and smell how can these people become as passionate as you It's a good question
1: climate change is an issue that affects everybody and you know i i think it's important for people to understand that despite maybe not being able to see any sort of Um, substantial changes in their local environment to understand that the things that happen you know in cold places at the poles are really connected to the quality of the health of our planet Um, and and basically there's three things I think that are really important for anybody to do I think first and foremost it's just important to get outside you know like hike bike walk camp climb jump you know whatever like (laughs) Um, the world is an amazing place and it doesn't matter if you're on a polar expedition or or in your backyard or or anywhere in between. I think the more that we're outside, the more we feel connected to our planet and the more we're interested in in preserving it um, not only for ourselves but for future generations. So I do think that is important. Um, I think in terms of the issue of climate specifically, I think we can get bogged down in these big things um and a big solution and that you know in looking at the solution well there's all these pieces that might not work or whatever and you know on my expeditions i have this philosophy begin with one step it's just you know in terms of achieving anything we at least need to start and eventually that path will come clear and so i think for for any individual i think it's important to just to, to take that first step and, and find out you know, what can you do personally? It doesn't have to be this huge thing, but any little effort is, is I think, substantial. And then third, you know, a- another kind of lesson that I've learned from expeditions is basically need versus want. So on our North Pole trip, everything that we needed to live and survive for nearly two months fit in our sleds. That's all we had. And, you know, obviously there were some times that we were cold, but I didn't die of starvation i didn't freeze to death i didn't get frostbite you know i was relatively comfortable i'm using the term relatively in quotes (laughs) but but nonetheless i was able to survive and and remain healthy and so there's no question that we all need to use resources but the proportions of of resources that we use you know again that need versus want thing and also we need to understand that it's it's probably a good idea to use renewable resources as well so Those are three of the main points that I always try to get across.
0: Awesome. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. To our listeners, you can find more information about Eric at his website, ericlarsenexplore.com. You can also see highlights of this episode on our website, mtnmeister.com, including the gear and more about Eric. So thanks so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, guys. Hey there, podcast listener. Thank you for listening to that episode with Eric Larson. And if you're still listening, you're probably a pretty big fan of Mountain Meister. So I have a request for you. I need some feedback on how I'm doing, both negative and positive. And, you know, this show is for you. The more listeners I have, the more successful the show will be. So let me know what I can do to make this show better for you. If there are any guests you would like me to have on, or if there are any specific questions that you want me to ask, any more information that you'd like to get out of the Mountain Meister, anything, there are no boundaries. Just let me know what you want, and I will do my best to seek it out. I've had a bunch of people contact me already, and thank you so much if you have done that. Much appreciated. Join us next time when we have brand new episodes of Mountain Meister. Until then, bye-bye.